Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I am your host, Tatiana Berenday, and today I have a very special guest with me, Miss Madison Cheshire. We are going to be talking about reclaiming birth as initiation. This is a topic very near and dear to my heart, so I'm just delighted to to have her um, here for this. Let me tell you a little bit about Madison before we dive in. Madison Cheshire is a home birth midwife and bodywork artist practicing at the base of the Colorado mountains. She's passionate about facilitating families to give birth with power, freedom, and the spirit of triumph. She offers guidance to families throughout the childbirth continuum witnessing pregnancy, birth, postpartum as a powerful initiation into parenthood. She's been blessed to witness hundreds of families cross the thresholds into deep activation and transformation. Madison also offers a combination of bodywork, energy work, and cranial sacral therapy to her pregnant families and her community. She's the creator of the Midwives Oracle Cards and offers intuitive readings with her deck online and at festivals and events. Madison is currently working on launching online childbirth courses and guided meditations for pregnancy. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Tatiana. It's great to be here. Yes, it's wonderful to have you. So we are going to have to take a quick break um, before we dive into this luscious conversation. Uh, Before we do that, will you tell our listeners what your superpowers are? (laughs) I love this question. Um, My superpower, I believe, has always been that I have a direct connection that I am aware of with the divine. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I know who my guides are. I have a developed relationship with them. And that really allows me to tune in and lean in to the intensity of these spaces of initiation that happen around pregnancy and birth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that really allows me to just hold the space um, with faith and trust and also skill. But it really helps me to, to not feel like it's all on me, right? I love that. And we're going to dive into why that's so important in a moment here. But thank you for that. That was so beautifully said. So we are going to take a quick break and uh, will you tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and your work? Absolutely. I am currently developing a new website called birthchoice.me. So birthchoice.me. And that is going to be a resource for people to tune into education, empowerment, and really pick up and claim their birth experiences. And I also have my personal website, my midwifery and otherwise website, and that's at www.wildflowerwise.com. Awesome. So we are talking with Madison Cheshire about reclaiming birth as initiation. It's going to be a good one. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. And we want to thank each of you for making Superpower Up the number one podcast network for personal development and spiritual growth. Because people like you have the courage to say that mindfulness, healthy living, disrupting reality, the pursuit of consciousness, responsible entrepreneurship, and radical parenting matter. 
We now amass over 1 million downloads monthly in more than 90 countries. Our numbers keep growing because there are far more people willing to live divergently than mass media wants to acknowledge. For you, the change makers, the light bearers, the way showers, we say thank you. If you're ready to take the next step in your evolution, go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz. And as Neva Lee Rekla, our youngest podcaster, likes to remind us, remember, we all have superpowers and we can change the world. Okay. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about reclaiming birth. In, inherent in this phrase is, is the understanding that we are reclaiming it from something. And I think maybe before we talk about what reclaiming it looks like, um, we might want to we might want to talk a little bit about what what we're what we're reclaiming it from. What 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 took it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is um, a really important piece. You know, throughout history, our ancestors lived I think much more in community in the the literal village and had the support of their sisters and regularly they experienced and witnessed what birth was what it looked like Um, and I think through many series of things and through losing the village a little bit and through things like the witch trials that have really disconnected us as women and as people from our earth-based knowledge and from things that tested our endurance and our longevity and our, our physical abilities. Um, We have sort of found ourselves in a time where I hear women say so often, too often that, that they could never give birth without an epidural or without a hospital. Um, And also the history of midwifery in the United States is really fascinating. There there was a time when there had been very active campaigning to essentially eradicate home-based, community-based midwives. And it was really a a propaganda campaign that was very well funded, similar to the campaign for Reefer Madness, that essentially told people that midwives were dangerous, that they were dirty, that they didn't know what they were doing, and that it was safer to birth in the hospital, primarily with male providers. Um, And we saw a huge, huge change from home birth in the 20s and 30s when, you know, 90% of people were birthing at home, more than 90%, to the 50s and 60s where people were then about 20% of people were birthing at home. And so there was a big shift, a big shift in awareness of our ability to give birth and on our own and to really claim that experience and a big shift in awareness that allowed, I believe, women to hand that power over to an outer source. And a lot of fear was used in that campaigning. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I think the, the book Lying In is a phenomenal book if anyone wants to learn more about sort of the history of midwifery and especially in this country, but also in Europe. Um, there's a lot of, of <laughs> I mean, it just sort of shines a spotlight on, on how we got to where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I want to talk about that for a moment too, because it's so complicated now. It's like, okay, we can look at the history 
and we can we can acknowledge that this is what occurred and yet there is still the fact that most women especially in in western culture have so much fear around birth and and are completely in alignment with birthing in a medical institution under the influence of multiple different kinds of drugs including sometimes narcotics um yes yeah absolutely and um you know in my work because of being a home birth midwife i am really blessed to see i to work with women who what even though the the outer culture has this deep level of fear and of course each each person, each woman, each birthing person needs to navigate that. And fear is always going to be there. Yeah. Who really choose to, to claim their birth experiences as an opportunity for their own transformation and take a higher level of, of responsibility and surrender to the trust of what happens. And so to see, you know, people reclaiming that for me has been a really powerful antidote to some of the experiences that I've had in the hospital and more medical spaces. Um, but that fear, you know, that fear is deep and it's real. And it's also, I think, a very valid part of the process. You know, I, I Absolutely. have never, yeah, yeah, I've never met a person who doesn't have the fear. It's, it's what we do with that fear, I think. Right, right. Well, and I think the fear, because we're talking about birth as an initiation, right? And I think in any true initiation, there is going to be some fear as a part of that. Part of the initiatory process is moving through the fear and beyond the fear to to doing what it is that scares you. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And really watching parents and families come through the process of their births with this feeling of triumph and empowerment, I have seen changes the way they parent changes the the future of their relationship with the baby that they just brought through. And not, but not just the way that they parent. I think I really truly believe um, that especially for women, our birth experiences, our experiences when we birth our children can shape the rest of our lives and how we feel about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know yes. that that has absolutely been true for me. I've birthed two babies into very very different situations. Um, and I, I'm going to be sharing my own birth story, most, this most recent one on the podcast. I have not recorded that one yet. Um, so I'm not going to dive too much into the detail of that here, but, but I think it's really profound. Um, and there is, there is something that, that I want to talk about because when you mentioned your superpower, being your your connection um, with the divine, with your guides, and really having a lot of clarity around that, and kind of being able to get out of the way in mm-hmm. in a in a birthing situation, because something that I've also seen happen, um, and I this was very apparent to me when I was when I was looking for a midwife with this most recent birth that I had. Um, I ended up free birthing my baby. I had a couple prenatal appointments with the midwife, but I ended up doing it on my own with my husband at home. And um, 
And there were a few reasons behind that because I think that, that the medical model of birth has very much infiltrated the home birth community. Yes. And I would love to hear your sort of take on that. Yeah, I really appreciate you speaking to this. Um, and also how, how awesome that you had a free birth. That is so cool. Um, this is something that I really see a lot and something that I, I feel is a constant thread and something that I'm constantly weaving through and navigating is that we live in, in sort of a, a structure and an agreement in our medical model that does not accept death or alternative outcomes and looks at it as though when something like that happens, we must um, eliminate that risk and that possibility at all times. And someone is always at fault. Well, we view, death, we view death as a failure. Exactly. Rather than an inevitable thing in every single human's experience. Right. Mm. And so I think that that um, driving narrative that we have within our, our medical system um, because because midwives are regulated by the state, um, if we choose to be midwife, or if we choose to be licensed, I mean, and not all midwives do choose to be licensed just for this reason. Um, and also some don't have access to licensure in certain states as well. Um, but being a licensed midwife essentially means that you are held to these clinical standards. And essentially what I experience is that there is something that keeps uh, midwifery providers torn between what we consider really truly good care and also what is autonomy of the client, what they want from their care with us. And that is juxtaposed with what is expected from us by our regulating bodies and by the medical model of midwifery. Yeah. yeah. And, and what, what's ironic though, is that we have and and we're speaking specifically about the US. You know, we have a lot of international listeners and I know that that birth is treated very differently in different countries. Um but what 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 I find a really fascinating irony is that we are what 37th in the world for infant and maternal mortality. And yet we are hyper focused on preventing death. Yes, exactly. And it's really a system that looks at, it looks primarily through the lens of risk. And it does not look holistically at the body, mind, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual bodies as connected. It looks solely at the physical body, essentially. Um, And and that, that 37th in the world statistic in the U.S. comes when people in the U.S. are paying exorbitant amounts for hospital births, um, as well as that number has not moved in many, many years. So yeah. exactly, like what we're doing here is not working. And um, I think that what a lot of people in our culture don't understand is we absorb, um, inherently absorb these messages about birth Mm -hmm. from the time we're very young without having any actual experience with birth for the most part is that um is that the hospital also has its own set of risks right you know 
And like you're saying, any initiation comes with, that's what makes it so powerful. That's what makes it initiation. That, There's risk. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The outcome is not assured. And that is why it's such a powerful and transformative experience. Yeah. I. So one of the most amazing gifts that I gave myself after this last birth was a a ceremony with a, a, a local woman here who um, is carrying her, her Mexican tradition forward um, of a postpartum ceremony called Closing of the Bones. Yes. And, um, and it was not only the Closing of the Bones, it included uh, a steaming, a bathing ritual, a, you know, special teas, a soup. She like wrapped me in a million blankets in this huge cocoon-like thing. It was like a, a adult swaddle, um, and one of the I, I will never forget one of the most profound moments for me was actually when we were doing the bath and she was pouring this water over me, and she was speaking these words, and I could I could feel how ancient they were, mm-hmm. and I could feel the lineage that they were coming from and and one of the things that she was acknowledging that no one had ever acknowledged to me before was that what I had just done I walked through something that not everyone who attempts it walks through alive yes and it was named and it was acknowledged and that was so incredibly powerful to have someone name that and call it out and acknowledge it. It was like, wow. Yeah. I just did yeah. that. And I and I get to I get to honor that like we just did that. And we're alive and we made it through. What a blessing and and what an experience to set the rest of your life forward with. And that's something that I really see is that pregnancy, birth, and that postpartum period up to at least six weeks, though I, you know, the postpartum period could be said to go through the year, the first year. Um, That experience is so deeply open. It's so wide open. And the potential for transformation is so deep. And the potential for trauma is also so deep. And walking forward, as you're mentioning, through that experience, coming through with empowerment rather than trauma, like you mentioned, is going to influence you and your own experience of your life, yourself, your family for the rest of your life. And that is so powerful. Yeah. And I got to say, like, yeah, I free birthed my baby at home, but we did have to transfer to the hospital to get the placenta out. Um, you know, and I'll go into that when I, when I share my story in in a different episode, but, um, but even with that, even with that, and I, and I, and I want to make sure that people hear me when I say, I am so grateful that the, the medical model exists, that we have hospitals. I am very, very grateful when in emergency situations, they're, they are really good at what they do, but birth is not, birth is not an emergency situation most Mm -hmm. of the time. Yes. And when, yeah, when we come at it as an emergency situation, we create emergencies that are not always going to be there if we're not 
treating it as an emergency situation. I absolutely agree. That is very much the case. And I often, I often say to people that I'm not a home birth at all cost kind of midwife and that I am deeply, deeply grateful that we have a system that is so refined when it comes to emergency and acute medicine. Um, and that, of course, that really does at times save lives. And then as you're mentioning, you know, when we look at this birth experience through the lens of, of risk and not in a holistic way, what I see being the outcome is that many, many interventions are implemented and often those interventions lead to another and another and another. Mm -hmm. And that in that way, many, many people birthing in the hospital end up having interventions that cause problems um, that aren't necessarily um, needed for the health and well-being of that family, unfortunately. Right. And there's a lot of trauma that can be caused in that process. What I have also seen, though, because I, I went from being like radically anti-hospital for, for birth, right? And I still, obviously, I mean, I free birth my baby at home. Like I, I do believe that birth belongs in the home. However, I also, I also have come to understand how, how powerful we are as creators and how, um, how much our beliefs influence how we feel about ourselves in the world. And, and so I, I do think that when we are, if there's anyone who's listening to this, who is, is preparing for birth, um, I think it's really important to get really real and really honest with ourselves about what beliefs we are carrying and how willing we are to examine them and how willing we might not be to examine them and, and be really brutally honest with ourselves. If your truth is that you don't see a way that you could access a feeling of empowerment at home and you're only going to be have the safety to birth your child you're only going to feel that level of security in a hospital setting then that's the correct path for you mm -hmm. yes that is so well said and um, another piece that i touch on with people i'm absolutely not in the work of convincing people to have home births and i very much see that people birth the best where they feel the safest and that being said many people's ideas of home birth um, have been formed by inaccurate influences yes. and so i think that is influencing a lot of people's ideas and decisions around home birth yes um, or, or where to birth and it's super important to to investigate that too i mean we're in a we're in a cultural conversation right now about um about racism about decolonizing our minds and yes. i really believe that that in order to fully do that we've we've got to decolonize the way we approach birth and death um because mm -hmm. because if if we're going to talk about you know racism we're going to talk about white supremacy like i'm sorry but it's it's women of color who are the ones who are dying at extraordinary rates at the hands of our medical system Right. Yes. That needs to be that is, named. Yes. Thanks for saying that. That is um, absolutely, absolutely true. And I do believe that 
reclaiming our birth. It's what I, I see the way that reclaiming births change the world, change the, the baby being born's experience. And yes. that baby is experiencing their very first. I like to, to make the metaphor, the analogy of, of where a seed is planted, whether a seed is planted in fertile soil and where it sprouts and what conditions it's under as it's sprouting to do with that birth experience and having a gentle, mindful, respectful, smooth and easeful transition in love is a very powerful gift to give your baby. Huge. Not to mention like the cocktail of hormones that gets interrupted by interventions as small as like too much light in a room. Yes. Too much light in a room is going to influence the hormonal makeup in your brain, which is going to influence the hormones that your baby receives and the hormones that your baby is designed to receive and that we're designed to emit during birth are hormones of love. Yes. Right. And we look at this like disconnected state that we have in our society right now. And I can't help but wonder if, if we can trace some of that disconnection back to our common birth practices, because our babies are not being born in a hormonal infusion of the cocktails of love, right? And that's Absolutely. not to say that that's not to say that you can't love your baby if you have a, a hospital birth. That's not what I'm saying that you that you're not going to love your baby. I'm talking about purely hormonal chemical experiences in the body. Exactly. You know that golden hour, that first hour after the birth is a time in a woman's experience or a birthing person's experience when those hormones are at the highest, most peak levels they will ever be in a human's life. And that experience of uninterrupted and undisturbed bonding in that first hour, not to mention also allowing the baby to go through their most primal movements, the breast crawling movements, the rooting and the the crawling and finding the nipple on their own. Um, and not that all babies necessarily do that in the first hour, but allowing them the, the unfolding process that humans have had forever, for literally all the way back, sets, sets those patterns for life. And of course, that's not the only thing that sets those patterns. I, I like that you're mentioning that, Tatiana, that it's, it's not at all that you can't love or bond with your baby if you don't have this. And in fact, life is so resilient. We're really talking, you know, in my opinion, about optimizing that time and that process. And of course, life is just amazing and moves forward in beautiful ways, whether, whether people have access to that or not. Yeah. And, and I mean, I know some pretty amazingly conscious children who were born via C-section, you know? So it's like, I, I, yeah. I just think it's really important to, to, to name those things too, that, that yes, what we're talking about here is sort of like an idealized, like, wouldn't it be, what would the world be like if, if those were the, the hormones that we all came in with? And I think we're also seeing a shift in, in consciousness as a species in our ability to, um, actually transcend physical limitation in that, in that regard. Um, and that's, and that's really amazing to see. I do. I want to go back for a minute because you mentioned earlier when we were talking about, okay, what are we reclaiming birth from? Like, 
and and you mentioned the witch trials and the inquisition um and and when i had that moment um with with metzli with this this um this mexican woman who who was carrying these traditions forward when she was rocking me with these robosos in this closing of the bone ceremony i couldn't help but wonder what was lost what what those of us and i'm tearing up thinking about it cuz there's grief there what those of us of european ancestry have lost when we killed our midwives and how that's impacted our culture at large and even impacted what we see in terms of what's happening with colonization what has happened with colonization all over the world truly this is this is a really deep piece for me as well because i i also i carry a lot of grief that that midwives today what we're calling ourselves as midwives and the the level of sort of clinical uh, mindset that we're expected to hold around birth really changes the experience for women so much and you know even those of us who have that spark alive it, as midwives you know to really hold sacred and um space of just faith in the process are also at all times unfortunately needing to consider um you know our own liability for right. be- lack of a better word you know Legal ramifications trained. yeah yeah exactly and um so i really see that like you're saying what have we lost it's like even midwives today we have very much lost that direct connection back and our our autonomy and being able to hold that autonomy for the women that we work with and not that it's completely lost but it is always present Absolutely. And I think that's, thank you for saying that. Cause I, I, we do, it's, it's alive. It's alive in our DNA. It's alive in the, in the collective um, consciousness that we ha- all have access to. It still exists. Um, and, and I personally feel so blessed that there are women like Metzli who, who is coming out and sharing from, from traditions that didn't lose those, that knowledge. Um, and are and are willing to share with people no matter what skin they're in um, and what culture they're raised in that are that are willing to share these really powerful ceremonies because for me I think when we're talking about birth as an initiation creating ceremony around it is part of what allows it to be that initiation absolutely and ceremony can look a, a million different ways but what what kinds of things have you done with families to really help them to mark this as an initiation? Like, how do you, how do you walk them through that? Yeah, that's such a great question and piece. You know, I always, I always begin care with people by asking them what, um, what traditions or what spiritual or religious or otherwise practices do they carry and how can we implement those into the birth process? And um, 
one question that I find very potent that is such such simple ceremony that it almost doesn't require anything, depending on what they're wanting, is what do they want the first sound that their baby hears to be? Mm. And so some parents will choose a song, some will choose a prayer or a blessing, um, some will choose silence, some want it to be their voice. Um, and I find that being able to mark a moment that in, in birth has become tense, for lack of a better word, much of the time when the baby is first emerging into the world, it really allows a moment, a moment for pause, a moment for breathing, a moment for the awareness of the experience of this being who is, who is emerging into the world for the very first time. And that is inherently a deep ceremony and even more so when we mark it intentionally in that way. Um, and I'd also love to share about um, how we sever the cord. And so in home birth, we, we wait to sever the cord in almost all instances until it stops pulsing. And that can be up to two hours after the baby is born. Yeah, and, and that is so vitally yeah. important. I just, I don't want to interrupt because I know you're going to a really beautiful place, but I think it's really important information for people to have that when the baby is connected to the cord and the placenta is still inside the mom and attached, the baby has oxygen. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And the baby is receiving up to a third of their total blood volume from the placenta in that first hour after the birth. Um, right. So when we cut the cord after a minute after the baby's born, a third of the yeah. baby's blood volume doesn't make it into the baby's body. Exactly. Yeah, that's very much the case. And, you know, in the United States, there is, um, in, in the hospital system, there is an awakening awareness of delayed cord clamping, but still delayed cord clamping in the hospital is two minutes. And um, the, the cord is very much alive, pulsing and communicating between the mother's body and the baby at that point. And I love at home birth to be able to honor that transition, the transition where we, um, where we sever the cord. And that can be done with metal instruments, um, it can also be done through cord burning. And because cord burning uses the element of fire, it can be a really potent transition. And also because it takes a little bit longer, like up to 10 or even 15 minutes, it is a time when uh, the families that choose to do it, I invite them to speak their prayers for their baby, for their blessings for their baby. And so we all go around in a circle, everyone who's in attendance, and we really just shower that baby with our love and our welcomes and our prayers and our blessings for their lives. Mm. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And then, you know, some, some women choose a lotus birth too, where they leave the placenta attached. I, I had sort of the idea of possibly doing that with my first baby. And then I found it to be very impractical to, <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. move my baby from place to place um, yes. with a giant placenta attached. <laughs> but I think so that some women, some women are successful in that. And I think that can be a really beautiful thing too. 
Yeah, I think really it's it's so much about honoring those transitions and the process. And like you said, there are a million ways to do ceremony. And um, I think also where your placenta goes after you birth is very powerful. In many, many Indigenous traditions, the placenta and where it ends up um, being has a lot to do with the rest of the life for the baby. I've even had one of the mothers that I worked with tell me that you know, about day three after the birth, she was starting to feel a little bit anxious and just kind of emotionally challenged and that her her husband went out right then and buried the placenta in the earth. And she said that she felt better, so much better mm. than on. And of course, it's a roller coaster ride in the postpartum. I don't mean to give the, the sense that it was just better forever or something, but um honoring that placenta, whether that be burying it or turning it into capsules, because at least in the United States, what happens to the placenta if the family does not choose to claim it and take it with them is it gets put into a biohazard bag and it gets incinerated. Right. I mean, it get, even if you do choose to take it, it gets put into a biohazard bag. It's kind of weird. I've, I've, I've done placenta encapsulation for many families and um, having this biohazard bucket to take a placenta out of is always a bizarre experience. It's like, this is some <laughs> dangerous thing that's going to kill you, you know? And of course, I mean, we're working with blood and blood carries pathogens. And so you want to, you want to be, be careful and respectful in that sense. But I, I think again, it just speaks to this, like the levels of, of fear that we have around, around our physical bodies and, and, and all of the inherent fluids that come with the process of birthing a baby. Um, and I want to go back to this moment of marking. I, I love what you're, what you're saying about, you know, the first sound that, that the baby hears. Um, my baby definitely heard some screaming as a, as her first sound <laughs> because <laughs> there was still another push and a half to go after her head was worn. Um, and I just, I, I can feel, I can feel the peace and I can feel the beauty that you're, that you're emanating and that you're bringing to families. And I think it's so yummy and delicious. And, and again, I just want, I'm, I'm feeling really called to, to acknowledge women who are birthing in all sorts of settings. Um, and obviously there are certain settings that are going to be more conducive to peaceful experiences. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't still mark, ceremonially mark moments for yourself. Um, if you, if you do end up in the hospital, if you, if you do end up in a setting that is not the setting that you had hoped for, cause that happens a lot too. You know, there's a lot of women that go into, I know I was one of them, especially with my first baby. I was, I was like, my birth is going to look like this. And, and it didn't look like that. And, and I felt like such a failure because of it. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the, the birthchoice.me that I am working on getting set up is really, it's a forum for, for people who would be choosing to birth in any format. And it really is the only ideology included is to, um, empower one's own birth experience. And so it really puts a heavy emphasis on choosing a provider who's going to 
really feel right, really resonate, and really support your wishes in the birth experience. And of course, within our modern medical system, different providers are very, very unique and different, and it will very much influence the outcome of the experience. And I mention that to say that um, I think sometimes parents just end up with the idea that like this is their only option or something like like the first person they meet or the place that is the closest to them is um, is the only choice. And I have very much seen that that within the hospital system as well, you can find a provider most likely who's going to support your wishes for marking the ceremony of your birth in whatever way feels best to you. Yeah. And that, I, I really want to amplify what you just said, because birth is a co-creative process. And I mean, it, it takes takes multiples to get it in there, right? <laughs> to, to create the baby. Um, and it, and whoever is present at your birth is going to influence the outcome of your birth, whether you like it or not, that birthing women are so sensitive to their environment and so sensitive to thought energy even. And so if the, the, and, and it goes to that level the attitudes and beliefs that your provider holds around birth are going to impact your experience. And it's so important. And that's why I think also just naming that like free birth is an option. If you cannot find a provider who, who you feel aligned with, that's, it's not something to compromise on unless you are willing to acknowledge that you're compromising on your birth and, and, and lining up with that. When you compromise on your provider for your birth experience, you are compromising your birth experience. Absolutely. This is so, um, this is such a juicy conversation. I'm enjoying <laughs> it. And um, it leads me to another thought that I really see through this transition for many, many people and women is that often, especially as women in the world, we are given a lot of um, mixed signals about what it's okay for us to have boundaries around. And mm -hmm. becoming a mother, whether it's the first, second, or fifth time, is an opportunity for us to, to create healthy boundaries. And it becomes that much more imminent because we're not only doing that for ourselves now, we're doing that for our babies as well. And I see... I see this sort of challenge that women sometimes have, but it's just pregnancy is the perfect opportunity. And as you said, we are so sensitive during pregnancy. We are tuned in oh my gosh, to so the sorry. other realms, <laughs> right? Like the dreams that we have and the intuitions that we have, it's really a prime time for honing that skill of how does this feel to me? Does this feel right? Does this feel yes. safe? And then also claiming I am worthy of putting my boundaries wherever they feel right. And it, not only that, but it is, it's my ability and my responsibility to do that, to protect yes. myself, to protect my baby. Yes. Because yeah. if you, and, and I'm speaking directly from my own experience here, if you feel that something is not right and you override that feeling, that's how with my first baby, I ended up with an experience that was not what I wanted to have. 
because I had a, I had a sense in my pregnancy that the midwife that I was working with was not the right midwife for me. But I felt too scared to have, because I, I was like five months pregnant at that point, and she was my teacher, right? She was my midwifery teacher. And so there was all sorts of nuances of relationship in there. And in, rather than possibly jeopardize my relationship with her by claiming my truth, I stayed silent. And I ended up with a traumatic birth experience that took me years to overcome. Mm. Years and this last birth to overcome. Wow. Yes, and that's that's such a powerful piece because there are a million directions once someone is is pregnant in the community that it's like every, so many other people outside of that person have input and a desire to influence the outcome of that birth. And of course, taking other people's ideas into consideration, that's something that we as women have honed and developed for a very long time, taking into consideration the needs and desires of others, right? Yeah, we're really what we have, <laughs> we're so good at it. And what we haven't honed as much often is that ability to really discern for ourselves. And so if anyone out there is is looking for, you know, for lack of a better word, permission, or maybe some kind of nudge to really tune in and listen and to um, place the proper boundaries, whether it be with your family, whether it be with your partner, whether it be with your provider or your parents, um, all of those, all of those folks, it is it is going to ultimately be the best for everyone involved mm -hmm. for the birthing parent to feel right about their choices. Yeah. And you may get pushback depending on how new you are to setting boundaries. I do think that um, once we are really aligned um, in our decisions, we get less pushback. Um, I think when whenever there is sort of a, a little bit of a wobble or we're uncertain or this is new for us and so it's scary and we're kind of doing it for the first time, we get we get that that back. We get it tested, right? Um, but again, speaking directly from my own experience, I had very clear um, alignment with my choices. And so there wasn't, I didn't actually get as much pushback from people as one might think I would have gotten making the decisions that I was making, because I was very clear that they were, they were my decisions to make and they weren't, they weren't for anyone else to really have an opinion about, or at least not in my presence. Um, and I was clear on that. And so I didn't really get a lot of pushback except for, from the midwife that I chose to have prenatals with, interestingly enough. But uh, again, that's another, that's another topic. And this, that's just to say that practicing setting boundaries is so important. Pregnancy is the perfect opportunity to do so and be okay with, with the fact that if, if setting boundaries is new for you, um, there may be some pushback and that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean, um, it, it just means that you are in the experience of 
honing that skill of being in alignment with your truth and really living that forward instead of just giving lip service to it. Beautifully said. Um, I really appreciate you so much for, for setting your heart and your gentleness and your kindness to this path. Um, midwifery is not for the faint of heart. What you, what you do when you show up as a midwife and when you show up as a midwife, the way that you're showing up as a midwife, um, is sacred. And I really hope that, that people honor that. And I think that the more that we can really honor our midwives in that capacity, the more they can show up in that capacity. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is sacred. And so thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Tatiana. It's um, really an honor to be able to do this work. And it is so fulfilling in so many ways. And as much as it is quite challenging as well. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, we're, you, you walk with death at your, at your left hand when you're, when you're doing this work yes. and, and when yeah. you're, when you're birthing. Yeah. It's a threshold experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before we end, is there anything that didn't get said that you feel like you really want to make sure that our listeners hear from this? That's a great question. Um, I believe that in my own experience, we all have the ability to connect directly to our allies on the other on the other realms, whether that be angelic realms, whether that be our ancestors, whether that be um, you know beings from our lineages or from the stars or however one might look at that, whether that be, you know, God for you or any other form of, of the goddess. I really, I really just encourage people to find that still quiet place and to ask for the support, the assistance, the protection and the guidance of those beings. Mm. Mm -hmm. Beautifully yeah. said. Sometimes the hardest thing to remember is to ask for help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So true. And to so then true. give the space to allow yourself to receive the answers. Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I do offer is, um, is readings and guidance uh, for people going through these transformative processes as well as um, consultations and very soon birthchoice.me will be up as a resource uh, for folks who'd just like to understand the breadth of the maternity system in the U.S. more specifically at this point um, a little bit better. So I'd really, you know, one of my missions is just to make this information and that empowered experience a little bit more accessible. Thank you for doing that. 
Thank you for doing that. So if, if you are in the States, please, please go check out that website. Um, probably by the time this airs, it will be, it will be up and running. Um, it's, I, I think it's one of the, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children is to empower ourselves in our birth choices. So, so thank you for, for offering all the things that you do in the beautiful way that you do. Thank you, Tatiana. I really appreciate this has been a wonderful conversation and what you're sharing here is really powerful. Thanks for doing your work as well. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for continuing to show up for these conversations, for taking the information that flows forth from them um, and for applying it to your life. This, this is what this is here to do. So thank you for doing that, for, for taking taking what comes forward and making a better life for yourself and those around you with that. Um, if you have not yet gone to superpowerexperts.com and, and discovered all of the ways that you can play with us, please, please go do so explore. We have so much fun stuff that we're offering for you over there. Um, download the app. It's a great way to listen to your favorite shows on the superpower up network. Um, and you can just access all of, all of the, episodes for just the shows that you want to hear on um, so you can go to search superpower net on the app store um, and until next time go out and love yourselves so that you can love the world more deeply many blessings are you ready to discover your superpowers go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today